Welcome to FiverrCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. My name is Red, aka Red Horrocks. And I am Adam, aka Twisted Web123. We're joined today by a special guest host, Wayne. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, Wayne? Hello there. As Adam says, my name's Wayne, Wayne Austin. I'm Aussie UK on Fiverr. I've been on Fiverr for around about three years, and I predominantly sell in the online marketing category. I'm also a Fiverr super seller, a top-rated seller, and Fiverr ambassador. Well, welcome, Wayne. We're very glad you're here. So our topic today is how to say no. Anyone want to say it for me? No. (laughs) Okay, that was the best podcast ever. Moving on. Um... (laughs) So uh, when we talk about how to say no, Adam, what are we talking about here? When we talk about how to say no in relation to Fiverr, we're talking about the customer service skills required to deal with difficult buyers where you can still say no, but have a productive relationship. So an example of this may be if you're asked to reduce your price and you don't want to, or if you're asked to do some additional work, and it's about how you handle that, but maintain a happy customer and still even possible future orders with that buyer. So Wayne, can you give me an example of a time that maybe someone came to you and they wanted you to go outside of your pricing structure? Like, How does that normally look for you when that happens to you? Um, It happens quite often. And I think it's important that you get what you're worth. And um, if you don't feel as though you're being paid enough to do what the customer's asking, you know, you just got to point out what you think your market value is and why. And remember that you've got to be objective and to kind of relate to the buyer, the market figures. So you would say to define that to the buyer, it's quite important to be clear in what you do offer for the prices you have set. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I know for me, it's it's a challenging one because my services, they do start at they do start at $5 like everyone else's. And for me, my pricing structure is very rigid. I have a set number of words I do, but I often have clients that come to me and like, oh, can you just do like 190 words? Can you just do this and that and the other? And I find it's really hard to say no to them because I want everyone to like me and I want to be a good, I want to present good customer service. But you really do have to stick to your guns sometimes. Otherwise, it's almost not exactly fair to your other buyers, right? Right. That's exactly how I feel. And that's one of the things I would convey to a buyer if they say to me, well, can you discount, you know, a source file or can you give me this a little bit cheaper? And I just turn around and say, personally, I don't find it's very fair because there's a thousand other people who have paid the full price. And that price in itself is below market value. And a lot of the time, I actually find that people really... They just end up kind of kicking tires. They don't really think they're necessarily going to get a discount. But as long as you handle it well, they'll go ahead and order anyway. It's almost like a test. You might as well ask to see if you can get one. But if you don't, you'll probably still go ahead and purchase. And it's all about how you handle that person. I imagine if you had a a poor response where you were quite rude and said, there's no way I'm going to give you it any cheaper. Why would you ask that? You've probably lost yourself a complete buyer there. But if you respond in the correct way and explain to them, then the chances are they'll just order anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, everyone likes opportunity to barter, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, de- definitely. I think uh, I think especially as well with the things like custom quotes nowadays and the custom offers, people always try to see if there's a bit of wiggle room with the pricing. And I think it's important to have a way that you have a set way to deal with that. And you have to be set because otherwise, like you say, you can't really charge one buyer one price and then another buyer another price Because if that other buyer comes back to you wanting that price, then how would you explain the fairness in that? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know, of course, we assume our clients don't talk to each other, but you really never know when that might actually be happening. In fact, I've had that same situation before when another buyer has kind of referred another one on to me and said, hey, you did a special price for XYZ buyer. Uh, Would you be willing to do the same thing for me? And it's always difficult to kind of to turn around and say no but you know sometimes you have to and, and like i mentioned earlier you you've got to really uh, get paid what you what you think you're worth so what's quite interesting about there when you mention a special offer is do you and yourself red do you give special offers and if so what is the criteria for that do they need to order a certain amount of gigs or a certain value how would you go about handling and deciding when to do that with a buyer yeah, I, I do it quite often when a buyer will come to me and say, if I place a high volume of orders, and I say that a high volume of orders is anything over 10, and they'll usually ask for a discount. And I'll say, okay, well, if you buy 10, I'll give you three or four orders free. You know, um, And that's generally how I work. So is that 10, are we talking the base $5 orders? Yeah, yeah, where you, yeah, base five. Base okay, $5. that's such, that's uh, that's pretty interesting considering the amount of feedback you have at the moment. I mean, you have thousands and thousands. Yeah. So to know that you you set the, the bar at 10 is probably really encouraging to the buyers from that because, I mean, personally, I don't count. I would have to be counting maybe 30 or 40 because I think, I think I'm just maybe more stingy <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> So well, what about you, Red? How how would you handle that? So for me, I don't offer um, discounts. I guess I'm I'm the stingiest person of them all because uh, I used to offer a bulk discount where people would buy, um, anytime anyone ordered over $50, I would give them a 10% discount. But the problem for me is with voiceovers, it takes me the same amount of time, if not longer, to record a larger item. So I try really, really hard not to do that anymore because I was spending so much time doing um, kind of free work that it was starting to impact the rest of my business. So I don't I don't really do bulk discounts anymore, except for voicemails where I'll do um, buy nine prompts, get one free is what I do for voicemails. I don't really offer discounts really at all. I mean, I've had some people say to me, you know, for example, I make Twitter backgrounds. I've had them say to me, if I order 10 Twitter backgrounds, can you reduce it down to the price of, let's say, six or seven and I, I do the maths in my head and I do the um, like the commission rates in my head and I, I look at it and then I look in my queue and I see I've got an order from a buyer for, let's say, let's say $50. And technically that one order there would be giving me more money than this discount I'm offering this brand new customer. Mm-hmm. And I basically, I tried to politely explain to them that I just can't do it because unfortunately it is actually more work for less return and maybe if in the future we continue to do business together and we build up more and more orders, I'll get to understand them a bit more so things can be processed more quickly, you know, less modifications and all this kind of stuff. But during the actual, that kind of initial phase, I always seem to say no because it just doesn't seem practical. Um, what, what, do you do, what do you do when you do say no, Adam? The thing I usually do is I'll say, unfortunately, that isn't really kind of possible. Here's why, and then I'll explain that it's, still cheaper than the average market rate. And what I'll offer as a kind of in-between is I won't 
guarantee a quicker delivery. However, what I'll say is, for example, I will try and make this, you know, happen faster for you, let's say within two, three days, as opposed to five or six as a compromise on the price difference where I can't lower the price. Maybe I can expedite the delivery to you. Right. The interesting thing too, if you think about it, if we were, if we were normal, if we were normal people, if we were working regular jobs and we were working 40 hours a week, and we then had to go ahead and do overtime. So say that our boss needed us to come in and do an extra four hours. We would get paid more for that overtime. Right. So that would be a higher hourly rate. So why would we offer? It's not like the boss comes in and is like, oh, I want you to do four more hours. And because I'm giving you more hours, I'm gonna, I am gonna, I need you to discount your, your hourly rate. So that's kind of the other thing that I think about it when it comes to reasons why we don't offer discounts necessarily. Because we are really probably- we have to do the work. It probably sounds quite uh, maybe egotistical, but I think when you become a top-rated seller, there's a certain onus on you to promote and respect the platform. And a lot of the times, buyers may come to Fiverr expecting a really cheap deal. Now, Fiverr is already below the market value on a lot of services, and people can come away with a really good value deal for themselves. But those buyers who come on for a really cheap deal, I feel like it's almost my duty to uphold the pricing, to to create the brand awareness that whilst Fiverr is below value of certain markets, it's not a cheap place. Yeah, and I feel I feel like that is something that, as a top rated seller and especially an ambassador, that we should be maintaining to kind of get that across to the buyers. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's it just benefits the entire community if people aren't undervaluing themselves because well especially if we if we massively undervalue ourselves what does that mean for the level ones and you know maybe even level twos as well it makes it even more difficult for them and more pressure on them to reduce their prices yeah exactly so what's some other examples of times we have to say no i think another example is when it comes to modification requests Mm, everyone's favorite and yeah, it's, you've got to be careful with a modification request because you may say you might do, let's say, two or three changes, but you maybe give a bit of room, do three or four, and then you have to wonder where does it end? So how do you handle modification requests, Wayne? Because I know your service is quite preset. So how do you go about handling people who ask for changes? Yeah, I don't I don't really get modification requests. Um, very, very rare. And it's usually only if I've made a mistake myself, uh, because I've got my service really fine-tuned, um, it's generally if I've made a mistake and I kind of just honor them. Uh, sometimes clients will come back and they'll ask for modifications that they're just totally outside of the service that I offer. Uh, so I deliver it, they'll ask for a modification, and you know, nine times out of ten, I, I can't help them. And unfortunately, I do have to ask for a cancellation in those in those circumstances. But if I can if I can accommodate a modification request, and it's not really going to take me a lot of time. If it's say for I don't know a fifty dollar order, and it's going to take me five minutes, then no problem. I'll try and accommodate it. But if it's for say like a five dollar order, and then the customer just wants you know another twenty five thirty minutes worth of work. I've got to value my time and and obviously for the other customers as well that I've got in the queue. Um, and like I say, unfortunately, I'll um, I'll always propose to refund the client. But what, what I'll do when I do that is before I do that, 
I'll look for another seller on Fiverr and I'll suggest the buyer to use another seller. And I'll say, this seller offers X, Y, Z, really what you're looking for. And yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just recommend them to them. And I'll always give that seller a message as well and just give them a heads up that I'm sending a buyer over to them. So when it comes to the cancellation, is that something that you're actioning because you want to maintain the, the customer, keep them happy, you want to maintain your rating? Um, because I, I imagine in that scenario where they're requesting extra work, you have done the work that you've been paid for up until that point. So cancelling to to that order is actually making you miss out on the money that you should be earning and you have done the time and spent the time to actually earn. Right, yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I say. I, I weigh up the value of the order. If it's If it's a $5 order, it's probably not taking me that long to do. So I'm not really losing a lot of time and a lot of money in that in that circumstance. But if it's a larger order, then of course I'll I'll always try and accommodate the buyer request, uh, so long as it's not really going too far outside of the gig requirements. Okay. So h- how about yourself, Red? How how do you go about handling modification requests? Because I know you're in the voiceover category, where I can imagine a quick reshoot isn't really that quick. It depends on what's going on. Um... Modification requests that I get are usually um, either something something wasn't captured correctly in a tonal way. There may be a mispronunciation in the file. Sometimes it's a pace thing where my buyer may come back to me and say, "I really like this. It sounds good, but it's just a little bit too fast. Can you slow it down?" And I can. There's a lot that I can. All of those I ta- I will take care of. I will just get those done as quickly as possible. Um, things like slowing down a file, I can do in my editing software so it doesn't involve going back into the studio and doing a re-record so that's not too bad and i also i firmly believe that it's my job to capture what the client is looking for and i've had a lot of practice and i'm pretty good at it but once in a while you just there's only so much information you can gather from the order details so i'll always do a re-record if i just haven't gotten them quite what they wanted when i start to get into the sticky area is when they start to change the script which is not my fault exactly and a lot of the times i will accommodate the client if it's something really really small especially if i've got a relationship with the client if they just need an extra line i can record it when i'm next in studio and send it over but if it's like a full redo of the script i have to tell them they need to do a new order and some people don't understand that and they do get frustrated but at the same time it's like i tell them i have to open an entirely new studio session this you know it's not something i can just do for free and you do get the worry about buyer. For me, I worry about the buyers abusing the system and deciding that they have placed their order and they bought a cheeseburger, but what they actually want is chicken nuggets, but they don't want to pay for it. Um, sure. So I, I, th- I think we all get kind of clients like that where they where they abuse a modification system to to get free work as well. I've got a question for you guys, actually. When a client comes to you and it's something that you really can't do, I think when you're a when you're a lower rated seller, say a level one or level two seller, I think it's easy to kind of just accept any job and just take it on, just because you're desperate to get the orders through the door. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do in that circumstance when it's something that you really can't do? There's a couple of things that I I don't I don't have it listed on my gig description because my gig description just isn't big enough. Um, but there are a couple of things that I don't do. Um, I don't do adult content because I don't want to voice anything that I would be embarrassed to hear back. 
Um, and then I don't do phonics or well, or, um, or Welsh accents because I just, I just can't do them. I, I'm terrible at them. I've tried and it's a disaster. So a lot of the time when that those come orders come in, I'll send a cancellation and be like, I'm really sorry. I, I'm, I'm afraid this type of material is not something I can work on. I'm afraid this is outside of my skill set, and I wish them the best of luck on their project. And that's pretty much it. Right. And I generally don't have a whole lot of backlash from that. Um, I've, occasionally, I've had someone argue to me before about the adult content thing because they said, oh, we're not going to use it for this, that, or the other. And I'm like, it's not about how you're going to use it. It's about how comfortable I am in order to produce a quality, a, a level of work that is a high quality and and stuff. And the other thing that I, I come across once in a while is sometimes there are times when you just aren't a good fit with your buyer. And it's really... Sometimes you can spot it right away, either how they're messaging you or how your interaction is going. There's sometimes I'll get a buyer where I have I have messaged them back and forth 20 times and they and they still haven't placed an order yet. And those are the ones where I'm kind of like, this is going to be one of those things where we go through 17 modification requests and you're still not going to be happy. So if I get kind of like a a spider sense about those people, a lot of the time I'll be like, listen, I I don't think we're a good match. And I'll come back to them um, and say, Maybe you should look for someone else or, you know, maybe you should consider sending your script to a professional script writer or something along those lines. So I do have to occasionally say, you know what, this just isn't going to work. And I think so long as you're, you explain yourself and so long as you're super polite about it, a lot of buyers understand that you're not always going to find the perfect person first time around. And I never used to do that. I would never, ever turn down an order in my first year on Fiverr. No. And I muddled my way through some very funny stuff. <laughs> um, I think we, I think we've all done that. Yeah, but now definitely now that I have a, a, a I'm a lot less scared about losing a five dollar order. You know when that happens now, and I think it's just better for it's better for the buyers too. You know they don't want to get work that isn't good. That's not why they're ordering. How about yourself, Adam? Um, for me, in that situation, I do something quite similar to yourself, Wayne, where. I will be open and honest with them and say, you know, I, I can't do this. Um, a, a common request I receive is getting someone to the front page of Google um, on a on a very small budget, which has two issues for the fact that, one, it's not easy to do on a small budget, and two, you can't really guarantee the front page of Google. That isn't something that you can – there is no set way of doing it. It's, it's no one yes sort of answer. Yep. So when I get requests like that, what I'll often do is I'll explain, unfortunately, I can't do this, but then I'll do something similar to yourself where I'll refer them to possibly another seller who could help them in some way that they're looking for. But the only time I will do that is when I actually know the seller beforehand because I want to make sure that I'm recommending them to someone that I also would want to use myself. I wouldn't want to send them in the wrong direction again. Sure. So... I often reach out, I would like to reach out to places like the Forum or other areas on Fiverr to get to kind of know other sellers so I can know who I can refer the work to. Yeah, sure. I've I've got a gig, actually, where I do um, SEO reports. And, mm. um, you know, lots and lots of times I get customers come back to me and say, hey, thanks for a great report. Can you make those modifications for me? I really don't have time. I can do it but I really don't have time to do it. And I'll always refer them on. In fact, I actually refer them to yourself, Adam. I was, I was going to say, I, I've had a few come through. Thank you very much. Ah, uh, awesome. uh, coming, uh, coming back to that point as well, um, 
about the buyer being happy in that instant. What I have learned and something I've brought into my own process is to try and check an order as soon as possible after it's been placed. You know, usually, let's say I've got 20 or 30 in my queue. Usually, I can always be a little bit delayed viewing like the 30th order before I come around and get to it. But I've learned to view it as soon as possible because I've learned that if you can't do something, if you tell the buyer as soon as possible, they're usually rather happy, they understand, and they may come back to you in the future for something else. However, there has been a few scenarios where I've been absolutely swamped. I've not really checked their order and I've gotten onto it on, let's say, the day or the day before delivery. And I explained to them, you know, I'm sorry, this is not something I can do. It states in my gig description, for example, that I can't do it. So it's very clear I can't do it, but they've placed their order anyway. But then they can be quite upset or annoyed that they've sat around for two or three days not knowing this. Sure. So I, I've learned to check the orders as soon as possible just to make sure that you can do it. And if you can't, they're quite happy as long as they know as soon as possible. Sure. In fact, that's really good advice for myself because um, I generally have around about 200 orders in queue at any one time. And it's it's just really difficult to open every single order, check it to make sure that it, that it fits my criteria. Uh, and like yourself, I'll generally deliver on the on the day the timer runs out. It's just it's just how I work. I just do just in time production. And yeah, you are right. There, there's been a few occasions where buyers come to me with some requirements that I really can't do, and I can't really refer them anywhere else either. And the only option for me is, is to offer them a refund. And that's that's my way of just saying, you know, I'm really sorry, I can't do it. Instead of going ahead with the with the order and then being really un, unhappy with the results later on, um, yeah, I'll, I'll always try and cancel it as early as possible. But for me, yeah, it's really difficult to do that, especially so many orders in the queue. I, I can imagine. I generally don't have an opportunity to check um, orders beforehand because my turnaround time is so short because I'm on the, the standard two-day with uh, with less some time. And uh, it's really, really hard for me. But there are a couple of things. Like uh, one, of my, uh, one of the things I offer is video syncing. And that's the one where like if I see an order come through, I'll usually check through my email. And if I spot that, I will go and look at it because a lot of the time people have ordered the incorrect amounts. So that's a that's something that I try to jump on right away because that can really delay a project if I can't get the amount of funds that I need in order to finish the work. Because a lot of the time, I do most of my video syncing, but every so often I have have someone else that I that helps me out with it, and I don't want to ever be delivering those gigs late because I'm waiting for more money and then I'm waiting for my my compatriot to help out with it. Well, the good news is you have that feature inside to send custom offers with um time and money um, and extras now oh, so that must wonderful. be helpful for that scenario oh it's fantastic i don't know what i did before that it was it's amazing being able to add extras onto orders now onto open orders is one of my favorite features that we have i suppose that's quite a polite way of um saying no as well in a way to the buyer where they may request something under price or they may as you say place an order under value and rather than, you know, trying to get personal about it, you, you simply state, you know, this isn't covered. You have the option of either having a refund or here's the custom offer to easily upgrade your order for you. Mm-hmm. So it's seamless for the buyer in that way. And I, I imagine it's quite a, a nice way to go about it. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a lot. Um, I have a lot of buyers that order the incorrect amount for orders, and it's really revolutionized my workflow for that. And then, and two, it's it's better for them because then 
they're not waiting and waiting and waiting for their for their products while we go back and forth on updates and okay now they have to place a whole new order for it in order to add in those additional funds and and all that good stuff. It's just they click one button, they just click accept and they're done. It probably looks more legitimate as well. When yes. I've, I've heard of a few times when a buyer hears a price and they think, well, what do you mean? It's Fiverr. It should be cheaper than that. It looks more legitimate that you can upgrade the order within the order so they understand you're not just talking you know, different to everyone else. Absolutely. And then the other good thing about that too is at the at the bottom of your uh, your options where you can add on your pre-built extras, there is that option for a custom extra. And a lot of the times it'll be some, I'll be able to use that and say like something along the lines of, I will add an additional like 37 words to your order because that's how many you were short on or something like that. It's it's a great system. I, I, I highly recommend it. Do you find that your buyers accept those custom offers as well? I've only had one decline one once. Right. And then I had to go back and explain why I, again, why I asked for it. But I have never had a, de- like, they've never declined. It's been, it's been great. And before I would have orders that I would have to go to them and say, hey, you didn't quite put in enough. And then the order would run out of time. And then I would send them a refund because I don't leave late orders in my queue ever. And then uh, it would be just be back and forth or I would lose the order. And I just, I don't lose nearly as many orders this way, which is, which is great. Cause I, I won't do work unless they have, unless it's a buyer that I have worked with dozens of times, I won't do work unless I've got the full funds for it because I've just been bitten too many times. That's understandable. So gentlemen, shall we move on to the question and answer portion of the program? Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. So our first community question, these community questions we have today are um, are wide-reaching and they're not from just one user. So they're pretty good. Um, how long after an order can your buyer leave a review? Wayne, why don't you take this one? Sure. Okay. So once the order is completed, the buyer has, I think it's 30 days to leave a review. Uh, after 30 days, that review gets locked and it can't be left. Um, and after the review's actually been left, the buyer, I think, is it four days, Adam? I believe it's around that Four time. days that they can go ahead and edit the review if they need to. So the other question we have is, how important is your user profile? Do you want to handle that one, Red? Yeah, sure. Um, I think your, your user profile is very important because it's a way for people to get a small snapshot into who you are. One of the things that it makes me sad when I see is when people have typos in their user profile. It's about presenting a level of professionalism. So I think it's a good idea for everyone to occasionally just go in and make sure that their profile is up to date. And your profile is just, a, it's your little bit about you. So for me, mine says that I'm a voiceover artist. It says that I'm originally from England and I live in America. Uh, and it's just all that little information. But I have found that if I'm looking for a seller on Fiverr, if I'm looking to purchase something myself and their profile is uh, has poor grammar or bad spelling or something like that, I tend to shy away. So it's an important thing to create, use it as a way to create a professional appearance from the get-go for, for your clients. That's about all we have time for today. Thanks very much for listening to FiverrCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. Uh, thanks so much to Wayne for joining us. You can find him on Fiverr. His username is Aussie UK. We were edited today by Dansha. Be sure to join us next week. Our topic will be a special product update, and you do not want to miss out on that. Fibercast. Fibercast.